Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Well, I'm glad that you're here today. I mean, we're in week six of a series that we do every year, and we call it Live Love. And this series, like, it seems like every series, especially this year, has not turned out any way that I thought it would. Usually during this series, we lean in to the things that kind of make vintage uniquely us. Because we know that, that there are some different things about our church. If today is your first time, we're glad you're here. My name is Matt. We're one of the pastors. I know it's loud. We're an acquired taste for most people, so just hang on tight for a little while, okay? It just is what it is. Um, we also know that like, we're, not a church, we're a church for anybody, but we're not a church for everybody. And sometimes what we do doesn't quite fit what people want, but that's why I'm glad this community has a lot of healthy churches. And when somebody doesn't find a home here, if they find a home somewhere else, we celebrate that because we are in competition with no one. We are all co-laborers in Christ, no matter what the name is on the sign. So we celebrate that. But usually we lean into these things because, y'all, I, pr- I promise everything we do has a purpose. And everything we do is intentional. And everything we do, we deeply believe, is rooted not just like in our preferences, but, but in scriptural principles, right? And, and, and so we usually take time during this season to kind of lean into those things and unpack them and talk about them a little bit. And so I keep waiting for God to kind of release me in, into talking. I'm like, Lord, please, please let me just talk about vision and values and these things that I've been talking about for like 14 years because it's so much easier. But I'm just reminded this year that Y'all, that statement that's on that wall in the lobby, that's more than just a sentence on some sheetrock, okay? Like, this is more than just a sentence for us, for me. Inspiring people to live and love like Jesus, it's not just something that we take lightly. It's not just like the mantra of some static organization. It is something that's very real and has a ton of purpose because it's rooted in the very words of Jesus, that we take so seriously that moment when Jesus gathered those 11 disciples on that mountain before he decided to ascend to heaven and continue with his next assignment that he gave us a meantime job. (laughs) When he gathered those 11, and you know, there were were more disciples in that time than just those 11. Y'all know that, right? Like there there were more disciples, but these were the 11 guys that he intentionally invested in, that he, 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 he went up on a mountain one night and he prayed. And when he came back down, he handpicked these 12 guys. And the reason why it's only 11 that day on that mountain is because Judas, from guilt and shame and all those things, took his own life, which breaks my heart because you know what? Jesus would have forgiven him. But he gathers them on this mountain and these guys, they're, they're a lot like us. They didn't have superpowers. They were people that had, had only met Jesus about three and a half years earlier. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're fairly baby Christians, right? And they, they got to walk around with Jesus and, and they got to experience things with Jesus that some of the others did not. And they, he looks at them and he says, okay, y'all, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded you. And I'm going to be with you in this until the very end of the age. And it's that word right there that, man, I can't get away from. Disciples. Disciples. 
that Jesus said, go and make disciples. And now we have always contended that the reason why that we say inspiring people to live and love like Jesus is because that's what a disciple does. It's somebody, somebody who lives and loves like Jesus. But it's like as we move towards this year's live love, I couldn't get away from that disciple and I started, I started wrestling with it. And I began to ask some really hard questions of, of Jesus. What, what did you really mean when you said it? And are we really achieving as a church what you called us to do? Are, are we really inspiring people to live in love like Jesus? As a church, are we really making disciples? Or are we falling short of what you meant when you said that? And so what, that's, that's what we've been doing is, is just kind of diving in and, and looking at this book and say, okay, what does it really mean to be a disciple? If we exist to inspire people to live in love like Jesus, and that's rooted in Jesus' call to make disciples, are we really making disciples or are we just filling up a building? Are we settling for anything less, Jesus, than what you intended when you said it? Not my idea of it, but when you said it, when you said you wanted disciples, when you, when you called people to follow you, are we really representing, are we living out accurately what you meant when you said it? And you know what Jesus started doing? He started making me think about that. I started, Jesus said, am, am I a disciple? Like, do I represent me, your pastor? Say when I was 14, I'm 43 now. Am I, do I reflect what you meant when you said disciple? I don't want to be a good pastor. I don't want to be just a good husband and a good father. I want to be a good disciple because that has eternal consequence. Come on, somebody. I want to be a good disciple. And so how, do, how can we be something we don't really understand? How can we move towards something we haven't clearly defined? And over the last few weeks, that's been our goal, is to lean deep into that word. And, and I'll be honest with y'all, I thought I was done last week. Just like I thought I was done with the week before. Like Monday, I went in, I'm like, all right, God, whew, mission, vision, values, let's go. He said, no, no, Matt, stay. I'm like, Lord, I don't, I don't know what else to say. And he said, well, then we got a problem. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, just start diving in. So I start, I start backtracking. Okay, look, this is, this is what you've been teaching us so far, that what it means to be a disciple. First, it's, it's, it's trusting in what he did. Like, that's the starting point. It's realizing that you are a sinner, because we all are. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single human that's ever taken breath is sinful in need of a Savior. Y'all with me? Say amen. We, have, we were created by God and for God, but we have this thing in us called sin that separates from us from living in relationship with him, and there's nothing that we can do about it. Death is the penalty, and it had to be paid, and Jesus paid it so you didn't have to when he dove into this world, and he hung on a cross, and he defeated it, and he shed his blood so that you and I can have forgiveness. And when we look at what he did, and we believe in it, and we repent... I know that's not a popular word, but it's a word that's in Scripture, y'all. Come on. It's more than just praying a prayer. Lord, forgive me. Like, that's awesome, but that's, it's so much deeper than that. It's, not, it's not, not that, but it's not only that. Come on, y'all with me? So much more of receiving who Jesus is and what he wants us to do and turning towards him and trusting in what he did. And the problem is so many people don't move beyond that. Jesus just becomes like our insurance for eternity, like, I'm just not going to hell, right? That's all, that's all I want. And that's not all that Jesus meant. Come on. And Jesus wanted so much more for us. 
But Jesus, when he, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't look at the disciples and said, found me. No, he said, follow me. He didn't, he didn't say, look, found you. No, he said, he didn't walk up to Matthew and say, I found you. Did he? No. He said, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. That was the invitation. And so it's not just trusting in what he did. It's also living by what he said. That to be a disciple means to dive in to what Jesus said and align ourselves with it. And we cannot co-sign on anything that stands in contrast to what Jesus said. We cannot align ourselves with any ideology that doesn't fall in line with what Jesus said. Like we have to know what he said and we have to absorb it and not just know it, we have to live it out, apply it to our lives. But it's also modeling the way that Jesus lived. That in Jesus, God looked at all of humanity for all of time and said, that's how you were supposed to do this. And what you notice is, is the two observations we made over the last couple of weeks is Jesus lived in proximity to others and in intimacy with God. And his intimacy with God impacted his relationship with others. That Jesus lived in intentional relationship with people and in intimate relationship with God. And I thought, that's all I was going to talk about. Last week we talked about, all right, how do we grow? That God, God wants you to want to know more than just like facts about him. He wants you to like know him, know him. Y'all with me? Not just know about him, but know him. Live in relationship with him. And that comes through intentional pursuit and time. It means you going after him. And look, at, I, I hope you went after him this week. Man, I hope, if you were in this room last week, I hope that your routine and your schedule did not look over the last seven days like it did before. I hope that you, pick, you were able to pick a place, pick a time, and have a plan to lean into the presence of God, just you and him, and get to know your heavenly father. Because that's what he desires. And I thought, last week, I thought, all right, all right, we're good, we're done now. Let's go, mission, vision, values. And then I've been reading through First and Second Peter over the last few months. And I didn't really know why. I thought it was just personal Bible study. And then this is what began to hit me, is Jesus in his divine provision, God in his divine sovereign wisdom, chose us to give us examples of living, breathing people just like us that were the first to live this stuff out. Like we, we get firsthand windows into the first to follow Jesus. And I think there are lessons to be learned from the people that were first to follow. And I know you and I aren't Peter and you and I aren't John, but John and Peter were people just like us who one day met Jesus, had their lives radically changed, and then from that point out had to sift through what it means to follow him. And what I see in the life of one of those disciples, I recognize in me. Every time I read about Peter, I'm thinking, me and Peter would have been buddies. Because <laughs> he's a little bit emotional, a little bit crazy, and a little bit off the wall. I can relate to that. And what you get to see, here's the cool thing about the Bible, y'all, look at me. We get to read about Peter when he first meets Jesus, and then later hear from Peter after he's been walking with him for a while. And you want to know what I notice? that the Peter that we hear from and the people that we read about seem to be very, very different from one another. Go with me. Grab your Bible. Go to the Gospels. Man, 
Peter, every time I read about him, every time I lean into his story, I discover there's so much that I can relate to about Peter. Remember, he was a fisherman. And one day he's just minding his business, doing his thing, catching some fish, doing his family job. And Jesus calls him, changes his life. He walks away from everything. And what you see, Peter, what you get to watch is Peter in his spiritual infancy. Y'all with me? Say amen. He's met Jesus. He's learning from Jesus. He's knowing there's something special about him. And he's trying to figure out what it means to follow. But there's still a whole lot of Peter there. You ever have some of you come out? I heard amen from this half of the room. This is the honest room. That's the holy side. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. But like you see these moments. Remember this? Go with me. Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has sent the disciples out on the boat. And he decides in the middle of the night, he's just going to do this cool little awesome thing. He's going to walk across the water. And Peter was a fisherman. He'd been on boats his whole life. He had never seen a dude walk across the water. But he's not sure if it's Peter. If he, Peter's not sure if it's Jesus. And he says in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And in verse 29, Jesus said, come on, big fella. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? I can resonate with Peter. Where you have enough faith to step out, then you get out there, and you're not really sure, and you're not really certain, and you don't know really what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, that faith kind of begins to fade away, and feelings and emotions and experience start to creep in. Can anybody relate? trying to live that stuff out. You ever live out your faith and all of a sudden your faith bumps up against your life? Your coworkers, your spouse, your kids. And then you have to, you have these moments where you started, anybody ever kind of got out there and started well but kind of faded back after time because, come on, y'all know, am I making sense? I can relate to Peter, man. Then you see him, just a little bit later, as he's moving in this relationship with Jesus, he makes this powerful declaration in Matthew 16. When Jesus comes to his disciples and he asks a question, he says, who, who are people saying that I am? And it's not because Jesus was, was like insecure and needed some affirmation. But he asks his disciples because he knows that these guys who were going to be handed the baton of ministry, like they, they needed to know this stuff and they needed to have it right. And remember what Simon Peter said in verse 16? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Y'all, this was a powerful defining moment. Where Peter says, you're not just some rabbi from Nazareth that we found intriguing. You're, you're not just some teacher. You're not just some illusionist that's doing really cool tricks and we can't figure out why. He says, no, I believe that you're the one we've been waiting for our whole lives and for generations. You are the Messiah. Y'all with me? You are the Messiah. But then, then look what happens just a few verses later. The same Peter that just said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus, it says, from that time on began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then must be killed and on the third day raised to life. He says, you're right, I am the Messiah. And this is what this involves. And then same Peter who in verse 16 says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And verse 22 says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. 
the same dude in just a few verses. Do you see he is in his spiritual infancy and he's living in that tension of his faith and his flesh. Y'all with me? Can you relate? He's living in that tension where he has faith, but he also has some flesh. And these things seem to kind of bump up against each other every so often. Trying to tell Jesus what to do. Verse 23, so Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block. And you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Y'all, what we're watching is somebody's faith develop live in real time. He believes in Jesus, and now that belief has to transform Because look at me, Jesus never was calling for us just to believe in him. He was calling us to be committed to him. Yeah? And grow in him. And this is happening in real time. And there's times when, when Peter gets it right and when Peter gets it wrong. And when he gets it wrong, Jesus corrects him. And that's part of this process. Even after Peter declares, you're the Messiah, Peter still has moments, look at me, where he don't get it right. Imagine that. That ain't you, is it? Or me. And there's moments, even after we've met Jesus, where we get it wrong, and we have to let him, as Jesus does, rebuke us, correct us, convict us, discipline us, challenging us, so that we can grow and change and move forward. See, some of us expect people, when they get saved tomorrow, to be Perfect when we've been following for Jesus for about 30 years and we still ain't getting it right. It's gonna get real in a little bit, y'all ready? We get to watch Peter in real time walk in with Jesus and be discipled by the master. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus with a question and now again, I don't know Peter, but I know people. And usually when we ask God a question, it's because it's about something we're specifically struggling with, right? And he says, Jesus, verse 21, he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. You know what I believe? That means Peter had a grudge. He's trying to figure out, can I hold this? Can I forgive them seven times? Then on eight times, can I just knock them right in the mouth? Like, I'm curious. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And that didn't mean he got, okay, I'm going to, like this perfectly and completely every time. Like you see Peter growing, listening, sitting at the feet of the master, being discipled by Jesus himself. But you constantly see this tension if you move into Matthew 26, where Jesus is getting close to the moment, look at me, where he's gonna go to the cross and he's in the garden of Gethsemane, y'all, and it says that he's so overwhelmed that literally he's like sweating blood because he's just so filled with all the weight of what's about to happen and he goes to the garden to pray and he brings his three closest friends. One of them is Peter and he says, hey, y'all pray for me. Look, can you imagine Jesus asking you to pray for him? Like to be asked by the, me? Like, you, Jesus, you sure you want me to pray? But look, it says, then Jesus, he, Jesus, returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. You couldn't keep, you man couldn't keep watch with me for one hour. He asked 
Peter. And have you ever noticed that he asked Peter? All three of them were sleeping, but he asks Peter. Because there's an expectation that Jesus has because Peter has been so close and he's seen so much. And by now, he should understand, right? You think, sometimes I wonder if, if Jesus is like, dude, how do you not know this yet? But that's my human element, I think, when Jesus is not surprised by his immaturity. Y'all with me? Jesus always corrects, but it doesn't seem like he expects them necessarily to know things that they don't know just yet, that they're all in process. He says, watch and pray that you might not fall into temptation because your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Then they move on into the garden. And finally, this, this guy comes with Judas and Peter recognizes him and he kisses this guard on the cheek and they come and they go to arrest him and you would think Peter's like, it's playing out just like Jesus said it would. He said all this would happen because he did multiple times, right? You with me? Say amen. But Peter, who had a sword, Peter was packing. Said so then Peter, who had a sword, drew it and he struck the priest's servant, cutting off his ear. And Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Like we see all throughout the gospels, we know that he believes in Jesus, right? Can any of us question that? He believes in Jesus. He's walking with Jesus, but he, he, is, an, he, he is an infant. He's in spiritual infancy. And along the way, he doesn't always get it right. And Jesus is always correcting him for his edification, for his growth, for his development. Hasn't he done the same in your life? Haven't you also had moments, even though you know you believe in Jesus, you trust in him, that there's this, this, this give and take and this tug and pull of your flesh and your faith continuing to battle out each other and hopefully with a little more time and a little bit more Jesus and a little bit more knowing him, you begin to grow and step into greater and greater victory, come on. Now some might say, well, well the reason why Peter had all these issues is because he didn't have the Holy Spirit just yet. But even after the Holy Spirit comes, Peter still has a moment, at least one that we have recorded, where he doesn't get it right. It's in Galatians. Paul tells us about it. We looked at it in the Plain and Simple series. See, now, one thing you need to understand, in a lot of the New Testament, when Luke or Paul, they write about Peter, they use another word for his name, Cephas. Y'all with me? So when you read about Cephas in the New Testament, we're talking about this very same Peter. <laughs> and Paul says, there was a time when Peter, Cephas, came to Antioch, and I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. See, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Did you catch that? Paul says there's a moment, this is well after Pentecost, where Peter comes around and he's hanging out with the Gentiles and all this shift has begun to happen. And then all of a sudden the circumcision people, the Jewish people come in and Peter starts acting different. He starts putting some distance from the people. And, and Peter says, I know that's not right. That's hypocrisy. So even after Pentecost, this is after Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, preached the first gospel sermon and thousands of people got saved and the church was born. Even later, 
Peter still is working out his salvation, having moments of mishap. Matt, what are you trying to say? Well, I'm trying to say, number one, like, when you get saved, it doesn't happen overnight. Right? Your salvation happens in an instant. Your growth takes a lifetime. His grace and his mercy given to you by the shedding of the blood, but on the other side of your salvation, if there are times when you feel like you're not quite getting it right, you're not alone. But you also can't settle for that and use it as an excuse. You also can't stay there and just say, well, this is how I'm always gonna be because God is bigger than that. The spirit is more powerful than that. And what he wants to do in your life is take you from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity for a lifetime. And this is what I notice. The Peter that we see in the gospels and the Peter that we hear from in his letters seem to be very different people. And I'll submit to you, that's because they are. That who Peter was that we read about in the gospels, who he was when he first met Jesus, who he was when he stood before that little girl and couldn't even acknowledge that he knew him, who he was when, Pete, when Paul has to challenge him is not who he is some 30 years later when he puts pen to paper and starts to write things like this. Go with me. Flip over to 1 Peter. And I want you to hear, this is the same guy who seemed to be completely controlled by emotion earlier, where so many times his emotions took precedent over his faith. But then he begins to write stuff like this, y'all. 1 Peter chapter 2, therefore... Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy. (laughs) Envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk. So that you, look at this, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He said, y'all, I've been doing this for about 30 years now. I got to walk with Jesus. By now, the Gospel of Matthew would have been written and circulating. That guy that you read about, yeah, that was me. Look at me, that's who I was. It's not who I am. Notice what he says, malice, deceit, malice. I wanted to cut his ear off, man. I wanted to take that soldier out. Deceit, I lied and said I didn't know Jesus. Hypocrisy, I acted one way around one group of people and different about it. What I'm telling you is I know firsthand you need to let the Holy Spirit purge that mess out of you because it's what it means to grow up in your salvation. Are y'all with me? Say amen, come on. Like that's what it means. He said who he he is now is not who he was. Who we see in the gospels is not who he is in this letter. Drop down, go to 1 Peter chapter two, verse 23. The same Peter that couldn't fathom Jesus going to the cross, couldn't fathom something happening to him. Look at what he writes about in hindsight years later. It says, when they hurled their insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, 
you have been healed by his wounds, the ones I didn't want him to take, the ones I didn't want to watch be inflicted on him, the ones I couldn't bear to see him absorb. What I know now is those wounds, he took them for you and he took them for me so that we could have life. And now on this side, back then, I couldn't even get close enough to watch. I left John there with Mary and I couldn't even see it, but now it's 30 years later and I've been working all this stuff out in my heart and I've been trying to figure out what it means to really follow him and to be his disciple. And I know you see moments in my life when I didn't get it right, but now I'm 30 years removed and I've grown up. I've grown up. Second Peter chapter five. Oh, excuse me, chapter one, verse five. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Then look at what he says in verse eight. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says, who I was is not who I am. Because Jesus met me and found me right, look at me, right where I was. He accepted me there, but he loved me too much to leave me that way. And all the things that I've learned from him, now the Holy Spirit is using those things to transform my heart and my mind, and I am made do. I am not the ignorant, emotional fisherman that Jesus called to himself on that boat. It's 30 years later, and I've grown up some. I've learned some stuff. I'm still figuring this thing out, and I want you to know that if you are, look at me, if you are exactly the same way you were the day you met Jesus, and it's been 10 years or 20 years, you're not a disciple. Because a disciple looks different. Not perfect, different. Not flawless, but growing. So do you look different? Do you think different? Are things different now? Walk with me back to the day you met Jesus. And if it's been recently and you're still trying to figure this out, we're with you. We're with you. We wanna have grace and mercy, but we also wanna challenge you to grow. But if you're sitting in this room and there's a lot of distance between when you met him and now, and things don't seem to be drastically different, I gotta ask why? And what are you gonna change? We get to see Peter in his infancy, and then we get to read about him as he's walking in maturity. Because that's what God wants for us. He wants you to grow up. It's time to grow, right? It's time to step forward in your faith. Move from emotion to devotion. From just believing in Christ to committed to Christ. 
you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. We're going to be out of here in just a second, I promise. This is not one of those messages where I just ask you to pray a prayer. This is where I ask you to dig in, man, to look at your life, to see where you are. I don't want you to feel a bit of guilt, but you know what? I want you to feel a ton of conviction if you need it. Because conviction brings change. Conviction is a good thing. When the, the Holy, if right now you feel convicted, that ain't from my preaching. That's from the Holy Spirit of God. He's saying, you know what? You've been saved for 15 years, and you should be further down the road than you are right now. And you're not because you're not making an effort. The, your discipleship is not solely the responsibility of the church. We are partners with you in this thing, but you got to go after him. God, help us grow up. Grow up in you. God, thank you for the biblical examples that we see of people trying to figure this thing out with you. God, thank you for giving us a window into Peter's life to see those early days where he's just getting to know you and he believes in you and knows that he needs you, but he's still working all the things out and battling his own flesh to see him decades later write words that are rich with maturity, showing such a shift in his heart. God, we want that kind of change in us, and we know we can't do it in ourselves. And God, this is not about trying harder. This is about going deeper in you, trusting you, letting your spirit mold ours, God, letting you form us into the likeness of your son to be conformed no longer to the pattern of this world, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, help us to dive into the things that are needed and necessary to move us forward in our faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, church, we wanna be partners with you in growing in your faith. If you'll let us jump on our app, let us know how we can come alongside you as you grow. Thank you for worshiping with us today, whether you're in the room or online. We love you guys. We hope you have an amazing week. We will see you next time. Give God some glory as you head out. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.